Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast for me and my brother John. We will answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John. How are you doing? You know, I never prepare an answer to that question, even though you ask it every single week. I should probably spend like 30 to 40 seconds before we start recording the podcast, considering (laughs) how I'm doing. I'm fine. I don't know. Uh, I've just, I've just got back from... <laughs> you want to tell me a story? Uh, yeah, tell me a story. I just got back from London, uh, so I'm a little bit jet-lagged, mm-hmm. but we had a wonderful... Sarah and I had a wonderful trip to London. We saw lots of art. We were there for the art assignment with... Uh, uh, got to film an art assignment with the Gorilla Girls, one of the great uh, art collectives of the 20th and 21st centuries, which was incredibly exciting. Uh, that was super cool. Uh, just getting to hang out with them is amazing and super cool. And other than that, I mean, I guess the big news from my trip to the UK, uh, other than the news that's going to come at the end of the podcast in the form of the news from AFC Wimbledon, is that on my sixth day in England, after having spent more than $100 on data, I did catch Mr. Mime. I don't know what Mr. Mime is. Oh, that's a Pokemon. Is that a Pokemon? Uh- yeah, there's there, it's the Pokemon that you can only catch in Europe. Oh, man. That is a terrible thing that they have done to people visiting Europe because you could be looking at Europe and instead you're looking for a, a special Pokemon. But I guess it's all part of the Oh, world. I mean, I... Hank, when I found that Mr. Mime on the banks of the river next to the Tower of London, I it, it took me 20 Ultra Balls, 20 raspberries i was sweating i was like shaking and sweating each time he would pop out thinking god please don't run away mr mime please don't run away by the way i don't know if you've ever seen a mr mime pokemon they are distressing looking they are extremely disturbing they're part of the (laughs) scary clown movement of 2016 anyway when i finally caught him i honestly like like I didn't start crying, but I did feel the welling up that you feel before you start crying. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you've you've got to find some other meaning to your life, man. <laughs> 
Welcome. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I have not. I have not played Pokemon Go in months. I have not played a video game in months. I am just trying to get all of the things done uh, before I become a dad. In which case, and at that moment, I will stop making Dear Hank and John's for a while. So yep. uh, I, I hear that you may have some special guests coming up. I mean, we've got some great guests. It's going to be super fun uh, during your paternity leave. But uh, we also might end up skipping a couple weeks just because yeah. I also have a little bit of uh, personal and professional business to attend to. But uh, no, it's going to be it's, you, we're, you're going to have an awesome paternity leave. My only concern is that you won't want to come back to work. Uh, yeah, I also have that concern. I I am. I'm, I'm, I am worried about leaving it all behind, and I think that that's natural and normal, and I think it'll all be okay, though. It'll all be okay. You're not going to want to leave it all behind. Um, babies are too stressful and overwhelming to spend 24 <laughs> hours a day with anyway. <laughs> Hank, would you like a short poem for the day? Yeah. This poem comes from W.H. Auden. It's one of the uh, short poems in his poem, Three Short Poems. It was recommended by a listener. I quite like it. Leaning out over the dreadful precipice, one contemptuous tree mm. i love those trees john i do whenever too. i go whenever i go uh tubing down the clark fork river or the, or the blackfoot uh sitting in a an overinflated tire tube with some beers and some friends i always love looking at those trees that are just like i'm gonna do this I yeah I, I there, it shouldn't be I shouldn't be here it's it can't be possible but I'm gonna do it anyway yeah there is nothing like a tree clinging to a riverbank in my opinion uh, it yeah, just, just it, for me, it captures everything about human life <laughs> <laughs> yeah I yeah it's it's remarkable it's something uh, to because because you also got to know that like. That tree is just like it, it's only doing it because it can, uh, and it can, so it's doing it. That's how trees work, right? I, I would argue that might be how we work too. Let's answer a question from our listeners. All right, this one is from Maria, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, when a stranger in a coffee shop asks you to keep an eye on their stuff while they go to the toilet, what are they really asking of you? Are you supposed to chase after a thief and tackle them to the ground, or just yell at anyone who gets too close?" Are you supposed to watch the stuff get stolen and then when they get back from the bathroom just point at the empty space where the stuff was and say, somebody took it. I'm always asked to do this job and I am never ready for the responsibility. Are there any realistic expectations of me or do people just ask in order to give themselves slightly more peace of mind while they pee? All right, I got two responses to this, Hank. The first thing is that, Maria, this speaks very highly of you as a person because the I am never asked to watch people's stuff when I'm in a coffee shop. And I always wonder, why? Why don't they ask me? And I've decided it's because they don't like the look of me and they <laughs> think that they'll be advertising that their stuff is going to be easily acquirable for the next couple minutes. Or maybe you just have that look, John, that like, please do not talk to me look. I mean, I definitely do try to put that look on in the coffee shop. I'm not going to lie about that. The other thing that I would say, though, is that in my opinion, and Hank, I don't know if you're going to disagree with me, when you agree to watch someone's stuff while they are peeing, you are agreeing for that time to treat that stuff as your own. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what you are being asked to do. And if somebody comes and looks at it, uh, you look at them and they're like, well, I'm going to go thief somewhere else. 
Because that's really like coffee shop thievery is very based upon like approaching stuff and then looking to see if anyone looks at you. And if someone looks at you, you uh, veer to the side and you're like, oh, that Danish. I should go get a Danish at the coffee bar shop place. You know uh, a distressingly large amount about coffee shop thievery. Well, it's, you, you know, I've had stuff stolen from me uh, in bars and coffee shops. And it, it occurs to me how that like, I, I've then, it is like, how did that happen? Oh, here's how it happens. And, uh, you know, you just sort of walk it up to the stuff as if it's yours. And if somebody looks at you like, that's not yours, then you're like, oh, I uh, this is not my stuff. Uh, in fact, there was recently a, a case in my neighborhood of people just walking into people's back doors and stealing stuff. And uh, several times they walked into people's houses and, were, uh, and, and the people were home and they said, hello. And then the people who walked in said, is this Dean's house? I thought this was Dean's house. And they're like, no, it's not Dean's house. And then they walked away. But they caught them because uh, all those people saw their faces and they just kept doing it. It was suspiciously bad thieving. It turns out theft is often done by people who are not particularly good at theft. Right. So long story short, Maria, to get back to your question. <laughs> um, if somebody walks to up my to you and in. says, is this Dean's stuff? You should say no. <laughs> <laughs> you should treat that stuff Dean as your own during the stuff. pee and that yeah. is your obligation to that stuff if you agree to be that person hank can we move on to another question i'm shocked you didn't ask the question i'm about to ask as the first question of the day because it is clearly the most important all right you go ahead and tell me your question john you know which one i'm referring to don't you no i don't yes you do this comes from emmy and she writes dear john and hank Oh, that's that one. <laughs> I work at a package distribution center loading the trucks that go out for delivery, and we often get these large containers which are full of bull semen. I live in Montana, so this is not weird. I mean, that is... Uh, I live in Montana too, Emmy, and I have never seen a large canister of bull semen, but continue. I live in Montana, so this is not weird. I mean, <laughs> receiving a large canister of bull semen is never not weird. I don't care if you work in a bull semen processing factory. It's still weird. Anyway, yesterday, one of these canisters had been incorrectly sealed, oh God, and was not placed on the conveyor belt very carefully. Oh, Double, oh God. Oh, my. As a result, the, the canister fell off the belt burst open, and when it hit the floor, I was doused in bull semen. Oh. This, this was unfortunate. Uh, I mean, that's a really good use of understatement. There are things that are unfortunate, and then there's getting doused with bull semen at work, which I believe uh, is the kind of thing that you can, like, I believe you could file a lawsuit. Anyway, <laughs> I had to use the emergency shower at the facility. Yeah. I took another shower when I got home. Since then, I have taken two more showers. And despite knowing that I really have nothing to worry about at this point, I still don't feel clean. I'm debating just sort of covering myself in Purell or maybe taking a Purell bath. Do you think a Purell bath is a good idea? And if not, what would you suggest instead? And she signed it in haste. Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh by the way, I have so in many addition questions. to writing a really wonderful email, Emmy has permanently solved the question of how you end your emails. You should <laughs> always end them in haste. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I, oh, so I know a little bit about about semen. And I, I know that it is not stable, and so it has to be cooled in order to keep it alive. And usually, like, 
I and any biological sample, you, you usually put it into liquid nitrogen. And so I'm curious whether Emmy was in fact dosed in bull semen, like because I if if it's going out for transport, it's got to be cooled. So maybe I don't know. It seems unlikely to me that there would be a vat of just semen on all on its own. But I don't know the specifics of the situation. It seems like Emmy knows what she's talking about. She obviously had to use the emergency shower at the facility. That it doesn't seem like it's a made-up story. Um, but well, I mean, it's uh, it I don't can't know. What, be a made-up. I, I don't have any advice for what to do. I mean, though. I think the right thing to do is it, the. The contamination that you feel, Emmy, is not a biological contamination, right? Like, you're right. you're yes. fine, yes. Uh, but you did have what is an objectively horrible thing happen to you, and it's going to take as long as it takes to forget about it. Uh, and But I, I don't think that you will be permanently harmed. You're not going to have a uh, human cow child... Uh, everything is going to be fine. It's just, it's just a very, I also, however, do not want to minimize how incredibly bad this is. It is very bad. It is a, it is a 10, (laughs) it is a 10 bad. You, it is bad. I don't, I, it's a very bad situation. You're having, you're having a lady, a lady Macbeth moment. You're having an out damned spot out. I say, uh, damned spot moment and, and the. And the spot is not blood in this case, and it and it's not cloth. It's yourself, and it's bull semen. <laughs> Out, damn! That's might be my favorite Shakespeare <laughs> reference you've ever made, Hank. Also, the only Shakespeare <laughs> reference you've ever made. <laughs> very, very likely. I had to Google it. Oh God, that's why you were so suspiciously quiet. That what? It, I mean, let's let's just pause. I wonder if there's something. I mean, I just. Oh man. It really, I can't even finish a sentence right now, Hank. It's so upsetting to me to even consider. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to read that email primarily because of the uh, parenthetical aside. I live in Montana, so this is not weird. Because now every time I come and visit you, Hank, I'm going to be like, "You guys got bull semen in the fridge? What's going on?" Yeah, where's uh? Yeah, I, I feel like I've, yeah. I mean, obviously the DFTBA warehouse handles bull semen. It's a warehouse in Montana, so we do right. Uh, we do the shirts, <laughs> yeah. we do the posters, and then we have the bull semen yeah. area. Well, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, it's got to be. It's your number one internet source for Rhett and Link mugs, <laughs> Wheezy Waiter T-shirts, and of course, you know, freeze-dried bull semen. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's branded. It's uh, it's DFTBA brand bull semen. Yeah, and uh, and you can get it now. DFTBA.com. It comes from uh, my understanding is that it, it, you know, it comes from a very specific kind of awesome cow. Yes, it comes from a very awesome not, cow that did not forget to be awesome. It's called a, 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 a Hoffsome Steiner. Boo. <laughs> Boo. I no longer want to pod with you. <laughs> I tried so hard. <laughs> Let's move on. 
Okay, I apologize. I apologize. Uh, this one's from V. It's a more serious question. It's, uh, we talked about this a little bit before we even began the pod, before we started recording. Dear Hank and John, I'm a Hillary supporter, but my boyfriend really dislikes her to the point of supporting Trump. Now, normally, ideals that line up with Trump's would be a deal breaker for me, but his reasoning is that Trump doesn't care about the things that he's saying and won't actually implement any of the policies that he says he will. I don't want to break up this five-year relationship for something so stupid, especially since he's wonderful and caring and thoughtful. It's our first election year, and I've seen people on Facebook just unfriending people because they disagree with them. How do I navigate political disagreements while maintaining our relationship? I don't know. (laughs) You were the one that highlighted this question. Well, I take it back. I don't know how to address (laughs) this question. It's just so hard. I mean... Ugh. I I just I Hank I I, I just feel very lucky up. that I, I want to wake I, up on the morning of November tenth, man. Yeah, yeah. Hope hopefully it will all be decided then. Um, I just I have flashbacks to two thousand all the time. Um, but yeah, I feel very lucky that I uh, share a house and a life with someone who I agree with on most political things. Uh, not not all certainly, but um, I don't know how I would handle that. And especially this year when it seems to be deeper than deeper than um, policy, much deeper than policy in terms of the the way that it's been discussed and and the. uh, Well, yeah, there aren't even any policy discussions at all at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're hearing almost nothing about policy or different ideas about how to run the country instead you know we're hearing that the other is a demon or has hatred in their heart or whatever and Mm -hmm. uh and it's really difficult in that kind of political climate to uh you know love someone who disagrees with you about this stuff that feels fundamental to who you are and i don't have a great solution to that i wish that we could talk about policy in a way that was civil um, yeah. But I also when, understand why why lots of people find that difficult. You know, asking somebody to have a civil conversation with someone who says, "I don't believe that you should have certain rights," is difficult. Like it's yeah, a very difficult, yeah. very difficult thing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it when your when when your ideology is an attack, it is very difficult not to begin the conversation feeling attacked. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people feel that on both sides, whether that's, you know, whether that's real or not. I think that, that, that it's almost, uh, preferred by the people who are trying to get people out to vote that you do feel that way. And, uh, and sometimes that is 100% legitimate and sometimes it's, sometimes it is, uh, manufactured and it's hard to tell the difference between those things. And sometimes it's only partially manufactured, but um, but it's, I don't know. I don't, I, I read a recent study that, uh, you know, of all the differences people have b- between each other, parents of children say that they, of all like religion, race, um, other ideological stuff, like the, the thing that they don't want is for their child to marry someone of a different political party. And that's oh, like, man. Wow. Okay, man, and, I, and and like and when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see how that's the case, and that's that's really tough. It's tough, tough, tough. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think you just have to try to find uh, 
ways to have open conversations. I mean, lots of people are in marriages where this is a disagreement. Mm-hmm. And and so just because Hank and I don't do it doesn't mean it's not possible. It just seems it just seems difficult to us. I also did recently see a study that 45% of Trump support uh, of of men who support Trump think that their wives are voting for um Trump and 33% of them actually are. So there is a certain number of people who just don't know and don't discuss it. And I think that that is is troubling. Uh, and I think that the the main thing... I don't know. I, I think that's fine. People... I, I'm not going to yeah. judge the inside right, right. of somebody else's I, I, marriage. I, I agree. But I think that the main thing is that you guys understand um, your values and um, and that those values are compatible with each other. And and if you and if this is like a caring, loving person, um, then like you know, uh, we all want the best thing. You know, if 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 you guys want this like similar things and you want the best thing for each other, then um, you know, I don't know. It's so hard to even say the words that were going to come after that sentence, but they're there implied. John, do you want to ask Caitlin's <laughs> question? <laughs> that was a great. Um, <laughs> That was just a great bit of oratory, Hank. Um, I wonder if I could have the 200 most recent words you said tattooed onto my body for the rest of my life. If you just, if you, you know, um, I don't know. Thank you. I just, uh, I want to have that tattooed on my body. Yep. That, that, well, I've, I've heard presidential candidates uh, say things that made less sense. Uh, (laughs) Not very recently. Not since Uh, Cicero have I been so moved by a speech. Okay. I'll answer Caitlin's question. This question comes from Caitlin who writes, dear John and Hank, I'm hoping you can solve a pervasive etiquette issue. I'm a young, able-bodied person and also a germaphobe and have always flushed public toilets with my feet. No matter how high or difficult to reach the flush button or handle, (laughs) I do not put my bare hand on it. I was taught to do this as a kid and never thought about it until I broke my ankle and couldn't lift my foot to flush. It dawned on me then that millions of people aren't able to balance or lift a foot and have to put their hands not only on a toilet flusher, but on one that other people like me are constantly rubbing bathroom floor germs on from their feet. So what is the proper etiquette here? Uh, Caitlin, I, uh, had a friend when I was in college who was in a wheelchair for her whole life. Her, her whole life. She's still in a wheelchair. Um, and I, one day was at a crosswalk and they have those little crosswalky buttons that you push, um, to make the, to make the, the light turn. And I, uh, in my gymnastic self, uh, jumped up, kicked that button, and did a little spinny uh, just to have some fun. And she uh, looked at me and was like, don't do that. And I was like, why? And she was like, I have to touch that with my hand. And now you footed it. You did the foot thing to it. And right. ever since then, I, and like, of course, I was like, oh my God, I'm on the worst. Uh, but of course, it's not something that we're always thinking about, and that's fine. But I will say, uh, bundle up a piece of toilet paper and push down on the on the thingy and then throw the toilet paper in the in the toilet and you don't have to touch it with your foot or your hand. Uh, another thing that I do is I just don't use my fingertips because it's really the fingertips that are the problem. 
uh, just try not to ever yeah, they're touching everything. put your fingertips on any surfaces because you're not going to be able to stop your fingertips <laughs> from touching your face. So just make sure your fingertips yeah. only touch your palms. That's what I try to do when I'm in public spaces. That seems normal. Okay, John, we've got another question here. Uh, I think that that's the appropriate thing. It's from Riley who asks, Dear Hank and John, how old is too old to go trick-or-treating? I'm a junior in high school, and I am too old to go trick-or-treating. And I feel like yeah, this might be too, too old. old. That's, but I, that's too old. I don't, but I don't feel too old to be trick-or-treating. Also, last year, I went in some of the houses, mm. gave out full-sized candy bars to older kids uh, out there. So I feel like this has been encouraged a little. Any dubious advice is greatly appreciated. Where do you live that they're giving out full-sized candy bars to encourage people to trick-or-treat older? Oh my goodness. Uh, seriously, Riley's life in the Big Rock Candy Mountain sounds awesome. However, <laughs> Riley, I mean, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that you have not gone trick-or-treating for the last time in your life. The bad news is that you have gone trick-or-treating for the last time uh, in your life until you have children. <laughs> and it will be a different kind of joy that you will experience than I imagine. I, uh, I, I can imagine. No, it's the same joy. You can steal half their candy. They don't even notice. <laughs> Especially when they're like two. I mean... They start to notice when they're like Henry would probably notice oh, now, but I could steal half of this Alice's is a candy great question. and she'd be none the wiser. When is too young to go trick or treating? Because I'm gonna have a child on October 23rd. Can I like walk around like dressed up my little nugget as like a chicken nugget and like, go to and be like no. trick or treat and then take a bunch of candy for myself? No. Is it time? Am I am I ready to no, trick or treat I suspect, again? Actually, one of the things they're gonna tell you at the hospital, Hank, is that you should not be parading your eight day. Child around outside in the freezing Montana cold, introducing that child to strangers. Oh, yeah, fine, but candy, John. I'll give the kid a little bit of the candy, but I'll take most. Well, of it. You, you. First off, you cannot give an eight-day-old child candy. I feel like maybe you didn't read the baby I'll book that I sent you. I'll mash up the Snickers bars. <laughs> I'll mash them up real good. Mix them, mix them with some mother's milk in a blender. Nope. That'll be no. great. No, 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 <laughs> nope, nope. It's like you don't even have nope. an awareness of how they how they eat. But anyway, it's all gonna be fine. <laughs> uh, but let's let's get back uh. let, let's get back to Riley. I, <laughs> Riley, I, I think that uh, I think it's time to say goodbye to trick or treating. Um, and I know I know it's hard. I actually remember feeling really sad. Uh, but I think. If you quit now, it will feel better. Um, you know what you can do instead is you can give out the candy at your house. And the other thing that... Yeah, I, it's so cute. Uh, yeah, it's so, so cute. So many cute kids. Oh, you get to see all these little kids and they come to your house and one of them's dressed as Napoleon and you're like, oh, that's so cute. You're Napoleon. And then he's like, I'm Louis the Fourteenth, And then you're like, don't be pedantic. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> like, why are you being a jerk about the fact that you're Louis the Fourteenth instead of Napoleon? Like, I'm not a... French historian, eight-year-old child. And also, like, what's wrong? What, you're being terribly parented that you would even think to make that correction to somebody who's giving you candy. I'm sorry. I've, 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 lost, the, I've lost the thread of the conversation. 
I mean, Louis the Fourteenth doesn't look anything like Napoleon. Well, John. I, okay, so you uh, could not. Look. I'm so disappointed you for making that mistake Hank, uh, to that poor child who has obviously had a great Louis the Fourteenth. Hank, no, no, that's that's exactly where you're wrong. The kid's Louis the Fourteenth costume was terrible. Obviously, if you've got a high quality <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth costume, I'm gonna know it's Louis the Fourteenth. This kid, he was wearing what was essentially like a French military uniform uh, from what I was guessing was the 19th or 18th centuries. So, like, I don't remember seeing King Louis the Fourteenth dressed up. I remember him see- seeing him dressed up in like royal garb, not looking like. He's in the military. Yeah. Who's the obvious French it's military person here, from John. that era? Obviously, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. So anyway, I'm still a little mad about it, as you can tell. Um, yeah, the, the problem is I thought that you had made up a story and you had not. No, no, no. It this was is, a that's real a true story. story. I do not like really being corrected <laughs> by strangers. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> an ongoing theme of Dear John and Hank. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, Riley, you need to be handing out the candy uh, rather than walking around and getting it. But I will tell you an amazing secret, which is that when you become the person who buys the trick-or-treat candy rather than the person who goes around scrounging from house to house trying to score the occasional full-size Snickers bar, when you become the person who buys the candy, you can intentionally overbuy candy. Oh, I mean, you you can also accidentally overbuy candy, which is the only thing I've ever done as a person who gives away candy. I mean, I always have. I would so argue much that you over. get way more candy by being the candy purchaser than by being a trick or treater. You also get the exact candy you want. Exactly. That's right. You don't have to be. You don't have to like rummage through all the all the Skittles. And the Smarties to try to find that one Reese's peanut butter cup, or I guess I should stay on brand, that one mini (laughs) Snickers. Uh, You can just choose to get 100% mini Snickers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I get the, uh, I get the, I get the Mars pack. That's the Snickers, the three Musketeers and, and the, and the Milky Ways. Cause I love the variety, but I like, I, I love, you know, yeah. I, if it, if it's just me on a regular day, I want a Snickers, but if, but if I'm going to have a bunch, then I want, I want to mix it up. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that I agree with you, Hank, that Mars is the best candy company. <laughs> God. It's also the second best planet. Uh, oh, I mean, I guess. I don't know. Doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't like Alpha Centauri have a planet in the habitable zone? I might be for that one first. Uh, one last thing I want to say about Halloween, Hank. Mm-hmm. There's this golden age that I think Riley is just entering where you don't have to wear a Halloween costume. Um, and then, like, you get to college and you start having to wear Halloween costumes to go to Halloween parties. And then when you're in your 20s, you have to go to Halloween parties. And then all of a sudden you have to start wearing Halloween costumes because you have kids and they expect you to dress up. Like, Henry wants to dress up as a Pikachu. He wants me to dress up as a Pokemon trainer. And, like, I don't want to do that but I also don't want to be a terrible father. (laughs) So I would say, Riley, enjoy these few years of not having to dress up because you're going to have, like, basically, you're going to go straight from the Halloween party scene probably to the Halloween parenting scene, and then you're going to have to wear a costume essentially every Halloween until you're, like, 60. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had not occurred to me that you have to wear a costume as an adult uh, parent person. I assume that that stops at like 10 or 12 when it stops being like a couple's 
thing, like a, a father-son thing. You just, you know, they, they go out on their own dressed however they want I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe by the time I'm 45 years old, I won't have to wear a Halloween costume every Halloween. But I'm just saying, if I were Riley right now, I would be grateful for the break. Well, uh, that brings us to our sponsorship, John, uh, which comes from uh, mm. the Pokemon trainer costume uh, of choice available now at that terrible pop-up store in your town where they sell things that are that are the worst quality of anything you've ever experienced for slightly more than they're worth. <laughs> And, of course, uh, today's podcast is also brought to you by DFTBA Bull Semen. DFTBA Bull <laughs> Semen, your number one source online for ice-cold bull semen, available now at DFTBA.com. This podcast is, of course, also brought to you by Purell, which will come in handy when the canister of bull semen arrives at your house structurally not intact. <laughs> we apologize. Please contact uh, DFTBA Help Desk if you ever have problems with your bull semen. We do, we do apologize in advance for the fact that 100% of the bull semen canisters we send out have been improperly sealed. <laughs> and lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by Louis the Fourteenth. Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> just to be clear, he was not a general. <laughs> yeah, he was got to have all the all the animal furs and the velvets. That's what you're looking for for Louis the Fourteenth, child, pedantic yeah. child. And uh, never come mm. to never come to John's house again. Do you want to do uh, another question, John? Seriously, I do not want to see you this year. <laughs> I will recognize you forever, and I'll be like, "Hey, what's up, Napoleon?" <laughs> and that's from now on. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it. So it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Okay, Hank, let's answer a few more questions from our listeners. Do you want to do a more serious one or a more sciencey one, John? Uh, I wanted to. Uh, well, I, it's my turn to ask a question for the record. 
Oh, fine. Fine, you go then. This question comes from Claire, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I'm in the process of getting over a breakup, and I'm having trouble. Whenever I hear songs that we bonded over, I think of him, and it saddens me. I still enjoy these songs and don't want to remove them from my life. One cannot simply remove Hamilton from life. But how do I reclaim <laughs> them to make them my own instead of ours? Oh, man, I don't know, because uh, because I still can't listen to Rush. <laughs> I mean, how do you go on? <laughs> Actually, I can't listen to Rush. I did not go out with that girl for very long, but she loved Rush. And uh, I listened to a lot of Rush for those couple months. And purely because of her interest in Rush. Uh, and now I realize that I don't like Rush. So that worked out really well for me, actually. Yeah, but Rush is not Hamilton, Hank. Like, this is Hamilton that we're talking about. Hamilton has been taken away from Claire. The greatest musical of our time, and possibly any time, is suddenly not available to her. And that is a real bummer. Yeah. This actually happened to me with a Clash album that I listened to a lot, not while with a person, but during a breakup. And I don't know why, but I just listened to this Clash album, like, over and over. And I love the Clash. And whenever one of those songs comes on the radio, I think about those bad times. And yeah, even with all of the exposure I have had, because it's not like these songs don't enter into my life, uh, it still happens. So I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah. I mean, I've got bad news for Claire, which is that I don't think there's any ever, ever any way to totally extricate those songs from their original context in which you listen to them. Like when I listen, there's this band I love. They changed names over the years. The Palace Brothers, Bonnie Prince, Billy, Will Oldham. You've listened to some of their music, haven't you, Hank? Yeah. In fact, I know that you've been listening to their music because it's been coming up in my YouTube recommended uh, area. Oh, yeah. I've been listening uh, to this uh, YouTube playlist I created when I'm for working on my new story called Adolescence. That's not really songs from my adolescence, but it's songs that make me feel the way the songs from my adolescence made me feel. Because unfortunately, the actual songs <laughs> from my adolescence do not make me feel that way. Um, oh, man, that's a good project for Awesome Perk right there, the, the, the link to that playlist. Oh, it's a pretty personal playlist, but yeah, uh, I, I, guess, I guess we could do it as a project for Awesome Perk. Anyway, um, I have been listening to this one song over and over and over again called We All Us Three Will Ride by Will Oldham when he was recording as Palace Brothers, and I have probably heard that song 300 times in the last month. And all 300 times, I have thought about the same frickin' girl. Uh, so I do not have any good news for Claire at all. I just wanted to um, <laughs> read the question so that I could tell you that story. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well. It sucks. Getting your heart broken sucks. Breaking up sucks. There's nothing else you can say about it. Like, uh, it, gets, it does get better over time, but it sucks. It's very sad. Yeah. Oh, man. I'd hate to have that happen to Hamilton. I'm so happy to, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, uh, you know, you've been with a person for a certain amount of time. It gets a little bit boring. Boy, do I love that. I love uh, security and and comfort in the in the knowledge that I love this person and she loves me. And uh, oh, yeah, it's so it's so good. It's so good. Oh, marriage is the best. I mean, marriage is just the best It's the most underrated of the major institutions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, I think that it's uh, it's good to recognize that and feel good in it. You know, what's the most overrated institution dating. 
Because that sounds awful. That brings us to our next question. This question comes from Mikhail, who asks, <laughs> Dear John and Hank, I went on a Tinder date recently. I just want to pause and look up into the heavens and literally thank God that I got married before the <laughs> Tinder era began. Although I will say I have a friend who shall remain nameless who occasionally lets me uh, take control of her, uh, lets Sarah and I take control of her Tinder and it is super fun to swipe left and right. It is super fun. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh-huh. um, I w- went on a Tinder recently and when I met him, I went in for a hug. Hugs don't normally give me problems, but while I went in for a hug, he stuck out his hand for a handshake, which resulted in my arms being wrapped around him and his arm poking and probably permanently damaging my liver. Two questions. One, which is more appropriate for a first date, a handshake or a hug? Two, how do you extract yourself from this situation? Pumpkins and penguins. So many pumpkins and penguins. Mikhail. Um, Hank, I have to say that I am not... I don't really understand how Tinder dates work, so I don't know if the hug or the handshake is the right call on a Tinder date, but on a on a in my era of internet dating, back in the literal uh in the literal turn of the millennium, my era of internet dating, I almost always went in for the handshake because uh, I didn't really know this person yet. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if you don't, like, I don't usually hug a person the first time I see them unless there's some good reason to. I Well, it depends. I, I don't know, I how, I don't start know how tight out. you get with somebody on Tinder before you go on your first date. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Like, if you have, like, a really good sort of, like, uh, text texting that's happening, then, yeah, maybe going for, for, the, for the hug. Uh, but in general, I think the first time you meet somebody, a handshake is a good uh, low barrier, non-intense way of connecting. Uh, and I think it'd be weird if you just waved and sat down. I think a handshake is good. Um, oh, I to- sometimes I totally do the wave and sit down thing. If I'm not, yeah. I'm not looking to have my fingertips touch another human being, I'm not <laughs> afraid to wave and sit down. Yeah, and it's all fine. And I think that the important thing is that... Uh, so there's sort of like a sliding scale, and you just respect the person who's on the the, the side of least contact. Um, you know, like, just, like, try and read them. And that's really what this question for me is about. Like, how like how do you handle it when you do the arms-wide thing and they do the handout thing? Um, and uh, you, you handshake. You absolutely yeah, handshake yeah, you, in that you gotta situation. Like, you, but it, it's always going to be a bit. But also like recognizing like, ah, I did the thing because everybody does it. It's not like a thing that has never happened before. It's a constantly occurring thing. And oh, I did the thing. And ha 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 ha. That was awkward. Good way to start this out. Um, right. Yeah. That's a great way to deal with it. Hank, did you ever do any Internet dating? No. I did a bunch. I, I, I feel like I should have a secondary podcast where I discuss my internet dating stories from the 90s and, and early 2000s, or really just the earliest 2000. I definitely had like internet, uh, like people I liked on the internet, and we would, right. like, like we, we had like a connection of a sort that, that I think both people felt, but they never went into the real world. Right, right. I, I no, I yeah. mean my first my first real relationship, the first time I fell in love was uh, somebody I met on CompuServe in the early '90s. So I was internet dating before most of you were born. <laughs> John was the first internet dater. I don't know if anyone knows this about him. It's on his Wikipedia page. It I, says, sometimes I think that sometimes <laughs> I think that she and I 
our relationship might have been like the first teenage relationship to emerge from CompuServe, but I might be wrong. <laughs> it's, uh, we were I mean, the really fact that it's early to, yeah. to that whole vibe, though. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I have to say, like, I, I mean, I have super complicated mixed feelings about most of my exes, but I have nothing but positive things to say about her. And she's gone on to have a wonderful life and is a lovely person. Hank, you knew her. Yes. Yeah, she was lovely. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, really lovely. Like, yeah, just a, just a great, great person. And we, we never even saw a picture of each other before we met in real life. It's crazy. The world was so different then. Hank, let's answer another question. I've got one right here. It's from Janet, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I know there's a fresh water shortage because too much of it's busy being 75% of 7 billion human bodies, so it can't go in the rivers and stuff. I also know that much of the Earth's water was delivered to us by comets. My question is, why can't we pull some comets into decaying orbit with Earth to get more water? I'm guessing we can't, or something, or... (laughs) I'm guessing we can't, or someone would have tried it already. I just want to know why we can't. Well, Janet, I have to say that you have just proposed crashing a comet into earth that's a terrible idea janet that's like of all the ideas that i've ever heard on dear hank and john (laughs) that might be my least favorite one (laughs) comets are huge decaying decaying orbit with earth yes yes you proposed crashing a comet into earth don't do that uh it would be very very difficult to do and also don't do it People have suggested doing this to Mars uh, to help uh, increase the amount of water on Mars and also the amount of gas in the atmosphere, which would kick off a greenhouse effect. But um, yeah, mm, it's it, comets are big and it requires a lot of energy to move them. But definitely a thing that uh, I could see a future, um, you know, future intelligent uh, uh, human endeavor attempting uh, on a planet that did not have. Uh, really robust ecosystems and billions of people on it. Well, there is no way that humans will live long enough to start pulling comets into uh, into planets. <laughs> There's just no way. Yeah. I'm not even totally confident about our ability to make it to 2017. Yeah. Well, you know, it's all odds, John. It's it's all the odds. Like I think that it's way below way below one percent that we're, we're going to crash and burn in the next few years. But uh, it's, I feel like it's, I feel like it's higher than it, than it once was. We're a very powerful species. We have a lot of control over our planet. And, uh, and our, uh, in the early days of understanding the level of control that we have and uh, are not good at respecting that yet. But I think we're going to get there. Uh, well, I appreciate your optimism. Hank, it's time to move on to the news oh, sure from is. Mars wow. and AFC Wimbledon. Oh, man. Uh, I didn't realize how late do it was. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I don't mind going first. Uh, I'll go first because I think that your news is pretty big and pretty good. Uh, mine was hard. There's so much news from Mars this week, John. I think that I'm going to go with... It uh, has. It's been a Marsy week. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with, even though this is probably the one that people have most heard about, I'm going to go with... Barack Obama's uh, editorial that he published on CNN saying that um, the U.S. will send Mars to the red planet. Well, nope, that's not, <laughs> that didn't make any sense. We'll send that would be weird. Uh, people to uh, the, the red planet by the 2030s and return them safely to Earth with a longer term goal of making it possible to, quote, one day remain there for an extended t- time. And uh, that's a terrible that's terrible news. 
as everyone knows. But um, he he uh, committed to some funding for NASA for this, and also said that it would be a uh, uh, a, a joint effort between public and private uh, in, uh, company things, uh, people, projects, programs. I don't know what am I. What do I mean, John? It'll be. I don't know. I want that tattooed on my body too. <laughs> it's going to be a joint effort between uh, public companies and the government, is what I mean. And yeah, uh, but the problem with that is that SpaceX has a plan to get there before 2028, and Obama wants to be there in 2030s. So I'm ready to, for that guy to leave office and uh, get somebody else in there who's a little bit more ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, for one, uh, am with Leon Musk on this news, which uh, Leon Musk, immediately upon hearing <laughs> about this news, uh, went to Twitter, uh, Leon Musk for Earth, number four, Leon Musk number four Earth, and uh, he announced... <laughs> He we announced it, how incredibly excited he was and uh, wanted to underscore how much he's always liked Barack Obama, um, who's the kind of leader who can make <laughs> sure that humans stay here on Earth where they belong until at least 2028, when this podcast will be renamed Dear John and Hank. Hank, the news from AFC Wimbledon is amazing. So as you will recall, when we last recorded a podcast, AFC Wimbledon was was playing Coventry City like during the recording of the podcast and I believe AFC Wimbledon was down 1-0. They came back, uh, they tied that game 2-2 and since then uh, they have gone on a tear. So the first thing that happened is that I went to London. Uh, we weren't there to just to see AFC Wimbledon but it was a nice added bonus. Um, so we got to go to King's Meadow. I was there with Sarah and Rosiana and our friends Stuart and Anne-Marie and their beautiful children. And it was just, it was a lovely day out, made even more lovely by the fact that AFC Wimbledon uh, won that game 2-0. It was incredibly exciting, fun to watch, great play. Uh, it was really, it was, it, it made me feel like AFC Wimbledon are going to be fine potentially in league one because they really played well uh then they played in the football league trophy they played plymouth argyle who you'll recall is the team uh we played at wembley to get to league uh one in the first place won that game 2-1 uh also you know who started in that game hank no my very favorite uh new afc wimbledon player the teenage uh uh ginger messi his name is Alfie Egan, and he is uh, going to be a fantastic player. Then they played Oxford. That game was actually televised in the UK, so I was able to watch it via a, a totally legal stream. Um, <laughs> and uh, they won that game 3-1. So AFC Wimbledon have gone from being near the bottom of the table in a situation where like, they were pretty much, you know staring the possibility of relegation in the face to being 10th place in League One on 16 points after 12 games, and they are one point uh, above, guess who, the franchise currently playing in Milton Keynes, Hank, AFC Wimbledon, which formed uh, in 2002, which had public tryouts on Wimbledon Common, which started out in the ninth tier of English football. For a little bit of context, Hank, let's go back to 2004, 12 years ago. Oh, gosh. Uh, do, should we do that? Should we definitely do that? You've talked for a long time, and people know the story. All right. All right. 
for a little bit of context, Hank, if we just go back to 2004, AFC Wimbledon are playing in the eighth tier of English football uh, at a stadium that seats 2,200 people. The franchise currently playing in Milton Keynes are a middling to crap team in the third tier of English football, League One, uh, playing in a mostly empty stadium that seats 15,000 people. Flash forward 12 years, AFC Wimbledon have been promoted five times. Uh, They are still playing in a stadium that seats 2,200 people, (laughs) but they are above Milton Keynes in the table, Milton Keynes still being a middling to crap team in uh, the third tier of English football. It is an amazing story. This is the first time uh, since reforming that that uh, AFC Wimbledon have been above Milton Keynes in the table. Uh, the team's playing great. I'm sorry I talked so long, but I'm very, very excited. You can get your DFTBA Nerdfighteria AFC Wimbledon scarves now at DFTBA.com. And while you're there, you can get yourself some bull semen as well. Uh, you're only four points out of the top of the table, John, out of, out of like, promotion. Four points from, from being in a promotion spot. Four points from being in the playoffs, yes. Um, oh, I, I mean, uh, look... Uh, I've learned at this point not to say that uh, something isn't going to happen, but uh, AFC Wimbledon, I will remind you, used to have the smallest stadium in League Two. Now they have the smallest stadium in League (laughs) One. It is very hard to imagine them having the smallest stadium in the championship, but whatever. At this point, I'm just loving the ride. All right. Well, I'm excited for you, John. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we learned today? We learned that you can catch a Mr. Mime if you are focused, willing to use a lot of money for uh, international data and have a lot of Ultra Balls. (laughs) We learned that John uh, may have had the very first teenage dating relationship uh, that came out of uh, the internet platform CompuServe. That's right. I I have the first and arguably best CompuServe love story. We learned that uh, after you break up with somebody, you can never listen to those songs again in quite the same way, but eventually you will be able to listen to them, but you will always still think of that person. I'm sorry, it's terrible news, but that has been my experience. And we learned that crashing comets into planet Earth is not a good way to increase the amount of fresh water that we have. What, could we crash a very small comet onto planet Earth? Uh, no. I mean, maybe. You could... No. 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 It would... I mean, it wouldn't be helpful, for one thing. We have lots of water, um, and we have lots of frozen water. It's not like we don't have big hunks of frozen water that's, you know, wonderful fresh water that uh, is already on the planet. And if we've burned a comet up in the atmosphere, like the goal would be that it would not uh, strike the surface of the Earth, you'd still be just getting that into the atmosphere, which would then rain down uh, all over the planet and, and mostly land in the oceans anyway. All right. I trust you. You seem to know what you're talking about. Hank, thanks for podding with me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks to all of our yeah. listeners, uh, especially those who support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. You can subscribe now uh, for a dollar or more. Uh per month and uh, you get access to a free live show. Not free. I don't know why I said free. It's definitely not free. Uh, It's a dollar. A (laughs) A monthly live show, uh, which is like (laughs) this, only with our faces. So kind of, by some measures, worse. Uh, And... uh, (laughs) I also want to thank uh, Rosiana Rojas, who helps out with questions. Nicholas Jenkins, who edits this podcast. 
Our theme music is from Gunnarola, Victoria Bongiorno. She uh, does all of the social media and uploads these things, so thank you for thank you to her for that. Uh, you can email us uh, your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter uh, using the hashtag DearHankAndJohn. I'm Hank Green. John is John Green. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.